okay? Uh, I'm Bill Stevens, one of the pastors here, and, and it is fun to have all you guys here today. You guys, we are talking about a talk in a series right now called In Transit, talking about transitions. And you guys, it's scary for me to talk about this right now because my life has been in transition over the last probably four or five months. If there's ever a talk that I would give that I'm still in process and learning through, See, God's calling me right now, and he's telling me, he's telling me this. He wants me to talk on this. So uh, he's, if, if, if there was ever a talk that would be about, about that I would be in process and walking through, working through with you, that I am right there with you on, it's this one. Because Jackie and I have gone through the transition with our children at this stage of their life. I mean, it is, it is been amazing for us and, and, and exhausting for us. Let me tell you a tiny bit, okay? If you're new, you wouldn't know this. If you've been around for a while, you know that my, my, uh, I have four kids. Ella is my oldest, Ella, Jack, Maggie, and Abby. Ella graduated from Whitworth and decided to come home and live at our house, okay? Jack, her senior in college, decided to live his senior in college at our house. They both got engaged last year, and their fiancés decided to live at our house. And so now we have eight of us in our house, okay? So that's the backdrop for the transitions that's, about to, that's happening right now in our life. So here's what's happening. Jack graduates from college. I call that a page turner. Page turners in your life are those moments that you turn in the page to a new chapter. And anytime you turn the page to a new chapter, you, there's some regret, there's some, there's some sadness, there's some, oh, you're overwhelmed, there's the unknown, there's tons of tears. Oh my gosh, I am so tired of crying. I'm so tired of crying right now. Uh, so, so, Jack graduates from college, page turner. Jackie turns 50. My, my wife turned 50. Anytime you're on a decade birthday, it's a page turner. It is. You guys that are 30, they're 39 right now, get ready. You're going to turn 40 and you're going to, there'll be some tears. You're going to go, oh my gosh, what did I, what could I have done differently? You'll have those thoughts. Jackie turns 50. Jack gets married. The amount, I've done 84 weddings as the pastor. One, as the father, it stinks as the father, okay? Because as the father, you're, it's just, it's the, it, you're overwhelmed with everything. The, the people, the family, the event, the, the, the emotion, the reality, the, the, the toast that I had to give. I mean... I practiced that in the steam room at the gym I work out at, and there was a guy next to me in his towel, and I'm in my towel. I'm just crying through it. I'm sorry, man. My, my son's getting married, you know. I'm just bawling through it. So, so that day was just the emotion. And then you fall off the cliff right after that, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that's done. And then they decide that they want to move to Seattle, Jack and Emily do. And so here we are, it was like we were in a movie. Jackie and I standing there in Rock Creek on our little house or with our, with our arms around each other as we're watching the U-Haul drive off around the corner. And we'll never see him again. <laughs> That's the way it feels. It feels that way. You're like, there they go. And they don't care one bit. We're crying. They're like, woo, you know, new adventure. <laughs> So they're heading off to Seattle. Then my birthday, 50th birthday, that happens right then. That's no big deal. We didn't even celebrate. I don't think even anybody remembered. But 
<laughs> Sorry, Jackie. Um, then, then, then we, then it's Ella's wedding. Now this is Ella's wedding next weekend, you guys. We're right, right in the heart of this. Ella's wedding's next weekend. She finds out last week that the pastor was going to do her wedding because I told them I wanted, I didn't want to work on her on their wedding days. I wanted to just be dad. Their pastor had to, to had to cancel last minute, so she called me and said, "Dad, will you do my wedding?" And I'm like, "Yes, but Ella." you know what this is going to look like. She'll walk down the aisle and I'll be bawling when she walks down. the. She'll get down to the front. Welcome, everybody. Who gives this woman to this man? Her mother and I do. <laughs> All right, Ellen, do you stand by justice ready to commit yourself to him in the bond of marriage? You know, I'll be a mess. <laughs> I am going to be a mess. And then I got to do a toast at the end, you know. It's brutal, you guys. It's brutal. And then we'll never see them again. They'll be down in Lakewood, so they'll never see them again. (laughs) Two days, two days. I can't make this up. Two days after they get married, where they're getting married up in Spokane, we're driving to Seattle because my third, my third kid, Maggie, Maggie decides that she wants to go semester abroad. Maggie has never lived more than nine minutes from our house, and now she wants to go for five months by herself in Australia. So, so Maggie, we're dropping her off at the airport in Seattle to go to Australia two days after all of those tears, okay? So then it's Maggie going to Australia. The only one left that's, that's stable and normal is, is Abby. She's our, she's our junior in high school but she's done having parakeets and wants now a more expensive bird, okay? Now, here's, here, I know that doesn't sound like it fits the rest of these, but listen, when you, get, when you get a bigger bird, here's what you need to learn. A bigger bird poops more, squawks more, um, it needs a bigger cage, is way more expensive, and the worst of all of it, it lives longer. Big, <laughs> big birds live 40 years. I'm going to be 90 when this bird dies, 90. I've had this amount of stress, and I've got a bird that's the worst part of it all, okay? I would love to say that I have conquered all of that, and God is good, and we have just been praising the Lord through it all, but we haven't. It's been, it's been stressful. It's, there's been all kinds of anxiety in it. We're overwhelmed. We're exhausted. It's just been a lot. You know, we're trying to figure out where the finances don't even let me get started there and all this. We're just, we're just going, man, this is an overwhelming summer of transition. But I started thinking about it. I'm going, you know what? That was some extreme transition, but we all go through those things, and we all have that mound of stuff that tends to chase us. We all have that stuff that, that is, is, is the stress and the anxiety and the overwhelmed and the exhaustion and, and all of it that chases us. I talked a lot about good grief. There's, other, there, there, there's some people that are going through other grief that, where that stuff is chasing them. Man, we're getting chased by all of that. And it feels like, for some of us, it feels like you wake up in the morning and the chase starts. And you go through your day and the chase continues. You go through your work and the chase continues. You're at home and the chase continues. You're at school and the chase continues. And, and you finally get to your bed at night and you go, safe zone. Whew, done with the chase. 
But for some of us, the chase even continues into the night and into your dreams and wakes you up in the middle of the, in the, in, at four in the morning. And you just now you're just more exhausted and the chase keeps going the next day. But now it's unfair because you're tired and you're running from all of the stuff. And you sometimes feel like you're missing out on things. You know, you got high school kids and you've been spending this last year or two just running from all of the stuff that comes with having high schoolers. And so you're running and, and, and the chase is going. You're going, man, I'm missing that life that they have because I'm just, this all the day is about the chase. You know, you, you have little kids in grade school and you're looking, you're going, man, it's just the time is flying by. And part of the reason why time is flying by is because I'm running all the time. And this stuff, this chases me. Those college years, and you're just going, uh, the, 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 the stuff that chases you is more of, of, of all of the, the exams and all of the, the, the pressure around school. And it chases you. The next thing you know, you're done with college. You just go, all I did in college was run. Was run away. Jackie labeled this for us this summer. She said, man, it's, it's, a, it's a monster. It's a monster that tries to chew up our joy. Because there's all kinds of places where we can have joy in our life. And this monster of this stuff, this chase, it's chasing us down and it's chewing up joy. Well, in the midst of that, we know there's passages of Scripture. We know that Paul comes to us and says, Man, be anxious for nothing but in everything. By prayer and petition, let your requests be known to God. We know that Paul says that, but we're looking at it going, Prayer? When do I have time to do that in the midst of this chase? I'm not going to pray. And so we just run and, and, and prayer doesn't happen. We hear, we hear Jesus tell us, we hear Jesus saying, man, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Don't worry about it. And, and we're just, we hear that and we just go, Jesus, that would be nice if I didn't have so much stuff that I'm facing tomorrow. We hear Peter say, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. And you just go, man... I, my doubt doesn't come from, uh, from, not, from, from God not existing. I, I believe there has to be a higher power. God does exist. Sometimes my doubt comes from, does he actually care though? Because sometimes when you're running, it doesn't feel like there's anybody that cares. It's about as isolating as you get. And it doesn't feel like anybody cares because we're just on the run. And so this monster's not only chewing up our joy, it's chewing up truth. And when it's chewing up truth, it's chewing up our hope. It's chewing up our confidence. It's chewing up our trust. And the monster's winning. Unfortunately for us, there were many times over the last four to five to six months where, or even last year where it felt like the monster was winning. And you know how you could tell if any of you guys came to us and said, how are you guys doing? And if my response was, oh, and that's the, that was the monster winning. It's basically me saying, I've just been running. I want to talk more about that today. I want to give us encouragement in the midst of that. And I also want to see how does God, what does God want us to, want us to do in the midst of that? How does he, how is he seeing it maybe a little bit different than maybe a way we can see it a little bit different too? Father, we pray that, th that today, in the midst of spending some time in your word and, and looking at this, I pray that you would help us in, in, in something that I think a lot of us do go through at one time or another or right now. Help us to figure out how to claim you and not, and, 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 and not let that monster win. 
God, speak to us through your word today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. I'm going to take you guys back 850 years before Jesus, okay? I'm going to take you back in the Old Testament to a prophet that was, it was a, just a very well-known prophet in the Old Testament. His name, his name was Elijah. Okay, prophets, you guys. Prophets in the Old Testament, these were people that had an uncanny ability, a gift from God to be able to see and know what God is up to far more than, than anybody else. They, they could see it, they know it, they could tell it, they could tell you what he's doing, they could tell you this is what he meant, they could tell you here's where he's going. Man, they, they had the ability to be able to, to discern that. Now, nobody wanted to be a prophet because if you were wrong as a prophet, you would be burned at the stake or if you were wrong, you would, have a, you would, you would get the sword, you would die if you were wrong. And so, man, prophets, if people that said, yeah, I'm a prophet, man, they, they knew that their life was short if they were wrong in what they were saying, okay? Well, here's what happens. Elijah back then, he had, he was, he, there, was, there were two people that were kind of his adversaries. That was, it was King Ahab, King Ahab and, and, uh, and, Je, and Jezebel. That, that, was his, um, that, that, was, that was the king of Israel, and they were kind of his enemy. Well, what happened was these, these wicked people, they had a group of people around that they were worshiping a god, Baal. Okay, Baal was a, a god of we- was a god that they believed was for wealth and prosperity, and so anytime something good happened, they believed Baal made that happen. Anytime something bad happened that affected their prosperity, they said we just didn't sacrifice enough to this god. Well, Elijah comes along. He says, "Oh my gosh, you guys, that is a false god." You guys are putting all your weight down on this god. It's a false god. It's no such thing. You're just making that up. And so he said, and, they, and there, there's 950 prophets of Baal that go, that look at Elijah and go, oh my gosh, you're going to die for that. And Elijah says, all right, here's what we're going to do. Let's put them to the test. Let's, let's make a couple of, of fires. Well, I'll make a fire, you make a fire, and let's see which God's going to start this fire. And so they did first, and they, let, they had this fire, and they prayed to their God, Baal, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they danced. Nothing happens. Then, then, then Elijah looks at his and he says, now douse this thing with water. And they douse it with water and then he prays to God and God lights the fire. And everybody around's going, what God are you talking about? And they start asking the questions. The prophets of Baal were all killed. And Elijah, they want to know what's going on. It was a moment where Elijah knew God was going to make a stand and God was going to make a point. And people were going to ask all kinds of questions. The two people that didn't like it was the king and Jezebel. Look at what Jezebel says. Jezebel immediately sent a messenger to Elijah with her threat. The gods will get you for this and I'll get even with you. By the time tomorrow, you'll be as dead as any one of those prophets. Okay, so when Elijah saw how things were, you guys, she just, she just threatened him with his life. He was just threatened by these Baal prophets. But he knows that God's going to respond. He knows that God is there. And so he saw that God was there in that, in that, in, in that time with the prophets of Baal. And so the next day, you got to figure, Elijah of all people, you got to figure Elijah is going to say back to her, you can't do anything to me. I am so confident in what my God is going to do, you can't do anything anything to me. But look what he did. He ran. He ran. You guys, that massive display of God's power lasted less than 24 hours in his life. Less than 24 hours. 
when we see the stuff going on in our lives and we see the blessing happening in our lives, man, it is so easy to forget. It is so easy for us to just go, yeah, God was there then, but he's not going to be there today. That's what happened. He ran. Elijah turned and ran. Even as he's running, you could picture him, the, the, the picture of the, of the fire being lit and all that happening, but he's still running out of fear of the next monster that's coming. Look, look what happens. He ran for dear life to Beersheba, far in the south of Judah. He left his young servant there and then went on to the desert another day's journey. He came to a lone broom bush and collapsed in its shade, wanting in the worst way to be done with it all, to just die. Enough of this, God. Take my life. I'm ready to join my ancestors in the grave. Exhausted, he fell asleep over the lone broom bush. You guys, I want to stop right there and just say, we need to be encouraged by this story. Encouraged. Even before we see what God does here. When you are running. What happens is that we get a new monster. And the new monster is our, our thoughts in our head of our lack of faith. That we'll run and we'll just go, what kind of pathetic faith do I have? And what's, how disappointed is God in me? And we're running and now we've created another monster. It's why we can't pray. It's why we can't lean on Jesus. It's because we're running and we're going, we've created another monster and it's what's in our head of God's disappointment in me as the rest of this stuff in our life is chasing us. Elijah ran. You're not that far away. When you're in the midst of your own running, know that Elijah did too. And this was a guy that knew what God was up to. And he still was overwhelmed by what he was faced, what he was facing. And he laid there under this lone broom bush and is in his safe zone from, his, from the monster that was trying to get him. And God wake, wakes him up and says, you fool. How could you not remember what I did? No, he doesn't do that. Let's know what he has instead. He says... He says, suddenly an angel shook him awake and said, get up and eat. What? Get up and eat? He looked around and his surprise right by his head was a loaf of bread baked on some coals and a jug of water. He ate the meal and then went back to sleep. <laughs> so, so one, I love it because God, you get to see the compassion of our God. He's going, yeah, I know you're running. I know you've forgotten that I'm here. I know you've forgotten what I can do. I know that. Here's your daily need. I'm still right there with you. I'm not condemning you. I'm not disappointed in you. I'm providing for you. I love that. I love that. But, but I also love that we can relate to Elijah even there because there are days when the monster is chasing us that all we can do is get up, eat, and go back to sleep. <laughs> you know, you get up, you eat, you go back to sleep. You get up, you eat, you go back to sleep. And that's all your day is. And you feel like, oh my gosh, my day has been eating and then sleeping. And then, and then you wonder, why do I keep eating? And we talk about that being stress eating. This was the beginning of stress eating right here. He was, he was eating, and then he'd go back to sleep. 
Herman McManus is a pastor in Southern California, and he talks about this, and he, he, ta he talks about it in light of anxiety. And he says, anxiety is an irrational response to an overwhelming sense that life is out of control. I love that. Anxiety is an irrational response to an overwhelming sense that life is out of control. Now look, he says that with the greatest amount of compassion because he knows as do I, we know that there are some people that go through some anxious moments that are, that, that are so overwhelming that it paralyzes you fully. And man, that's, that's where we love it when you go seek some help. We love it when you go, go find that counselor, go find that therapist, go find that psychiatrist, that in the midst of your paralysis around your anxiety, someone can help you unpack that a little bit more. Man, we encourage that and we wanna help you to even find that person if you need to find that person, okay? But in the midst of this, what he's saying here is he's saying anxiety is an irrational response to an overwhelming sense that life is out of control. He's saying it's irrational because if rational is the blessing of God in our life, if rational is God is there and God is, is, is trustworthy, if that's been rational, what's irrational is all of a sudden that's not there anymore. What's irrational is all of a sudden God doesn't care anymore. God could care less about this situation than I'm in. That's irrational. So, so even with Elijah, he runs with this anxiety and it's irrational because he just saw God at work. But we all know that that it's irrational, but we still give in to that. And this is, what, this is, how, this is how McManus, uh, he, says, he says, it's an undercurrent that pulls me in. He says, I'm in that space again and I feel alone and it's isolating. He says, it's a trap door to my soul because we run towards God and then there's a trap door that just drops us into, I don't trust you. It's bottomless, you can't pull yourself out. And then this is the one that Jackie and I saw this summer at times. The breakdown traumatizes the best part of us and all we have available is the worst part of us. Do you guys ever see that? Do you ever see that in your marriage? Do you ever see that with your kids? Do you ever see that when you face the, the mountain of the stuff? You got a new job that is just kicking your butt all day long and you're just going, I don't know what to do with this. And, and, you, and then your wife gets the worst of you or your husband gets the worst of you. You're, you're, you're stressed like crazy over what somebody said or what somebody was doing and now your kids get the worst of you? It's because it, that monster keeps winning. Well, this is where Jackie and, I, Jackie and I were feeling that at times throughout these last six months or so. And this is where I am so thankful to be married to a brilliant woman. I'm so thankful to be married to a woman that sees things that, that gives perspective to things that I need perspective on. Jackie is, um, Jackie is, is the, 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 the wisdom behind me and the, and the, um, and the, she's the one that helps me see things clear, okay? And so what, what, what Jackie shared is, and I love this, this is, was profound for me too. She said, should I feel like there are two different lenses that we can see life through. And she says, I feel like the one that we tend to pick up more times than not in the midst of all that we're doing is we pick up these, these, these sunglasses that is the sunglasses of overwhelmed, anxious, the angst in our life, all of that. And we filter our entire life through those glasses. And so now everything's discolored and distorted. Everything is. You see it through the, how are you doing today? It's all around my, or all around that stress, all around that anxious, all around that mound of stuff, all around that monster. And it distorts and it discolors everything. It distorts and discolors all the plan. 
It distorts and discolors the people around you. It distorts and discolors the other things around you on the periphery. It distorts and it discolors. I was going, man, that is so true. And I started thinking about other people. I thought about, I thought about Chris and Sarah. Chris is our high school and middle school pastor. And they just had a baby. And think about when you have a newborn baby or in their first couple of years of, 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 of a child being born. In those first couple of years... If you put on the, the glasses, that it's, that it's the, those sunglasses of just that stress, all we see is the discolored and distorted view. We don't see the joy. We just see discolored and distorted. And so this is why in your first couple of years, marriage always takes a hit. Because now all of a sudden I don't see partner, I don't see friend, I don't see the person I love. I see, are you working like I'm working? And it's distorted and it's discolored. And we miss it. I thought about this is where, this is where, I mean, I'm, I've got marriage on the brain, but this is where Bridezilla comes in. When a bride on the wedding day is all messed up, why is she all messed up? Because she put on the glasses that distorts and discolors with all the stress that's going on. And because her centerpieces aren't perfectly centered, now she wonders if she should be marrying this guy. You know, it's, it distorts. And it discolors, and she's missing the joy. Man, I can't tell you all those years of doing college ministry, how many times I would sit in my office with a college student with those glasses on, that their college years were distorted and discolored because that was the only glasses they chose to put on. They chose to see life through the lenses of their stress. She said there's another lens that we could choose to put on and it's like a camera. We started talking through it. It's like a really good camera. And this is the lens of God. It's like, it's like one of those cameras that at night, when you're, when you're, when you're seeing everything happening and, 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 you're, and you're watching stuff happen and, and at dusk, and all of a sudden everything's enhanced through that camera lens, and, and you can see colors and the lights are coming in, and you're just going, wow, that's way different than what I just see. When I'm watching golf on television, okay, when I'm watching, which most of you guys do, I know you do, and, and when you're watching golf on TV, when it goes into extra holes, which Jackie loves when the golf goes into extra holes, when it goes into extra holes and you're watching that, you're, you're, you're watching, you're going, there's plenty of light left for them to finish, but inevitably the announcer will come on the, come on the air and say, you know what, there's less light than what you think. For some reason, these cameras are picking up all this extra light, but there really isn't. They can't see their ball. Well, that's, that's the, that when we look at through the lens of God, everything is enhanced, and, and God is, 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 we're seeing all the light that's coming in, and we get to see it from a different perspective. Here's what happens when you do that. It, it enhances our view of our problem. That's super important for us. We have to identify really what's the problem. Because sometimes when it's discolored and distorted, we don't really even know what the problem is. We just know it's a lot of stuff. And when you see it through the lens of the Lord, it enhances our problem. I, I, it doesn't take away our problem. Maybe we just see it a little bit clearer. And this is why worship is so important. Because when you worship the Lord, whether it's in church or then even as you leave here, when you worship the Lord, what happens is it changes you, that, that narrative. And, you, and you're going, okay, wait a minute. What this is showing me as I bring that stress in is here are the things that I can handle and here are the things that I can't. And here's where the Lord is saying, I can. 
And we can have that perspective as we see it from his eyes. What else happens when you see it through his eyes is you get, to, you get to see the blessing around you. And it's not just the problem all distorted and discolored, but you get to see blessing around you. You guys, I have a friend, Janie Donatucci, that is a, is a mentor of mine in my life with stage four cancer. And just a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was sitting with her and I was asking her about it. And she goes, every day I have to do that. Every day I have to choose. I can choose the lens that distorts and discolors everything. And all it is is that lens that is the anxiety around cancer. But instead, she's going to go, no, I'm going to choose the lens of God in this moment. I'm going to choose the lens of God. And you know what? It will still it'll help me clearly see my problem. It's still there. The cancer's still there. But I'm going to see the blessing around me. And I said, Janie, that has got to be so hard for you to do that. And she goes, oh, yeah, it's a battle every day. But every day, I'm choosing to put those on. I'm going to see it through God's eyes. I'm going to see the blessing. What that also does, it helps us to see outside of ourselves. Sometimes we've got to stop thinking as much about ourselves and just, just our own issue. And when you're in the midst of this stuff, you don't even think of anything else but yourself. But man, when you see it through God's eyes, you actually have the capacity to see other people and their problems too. And more than anything, what it does is it tells us God is there. And he does care. Even as the problem is clearly seen, God is there and he cares. And then when you hear that, you know, uh, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and petition, let your request be known to God, you go, he's there. And he's just asking me to pray for that. My daughter is, a, is, is in high school, and there's times where I wish she would tell me everything. You know how that is for you guys, high school kids. You want them to tell you everything. And a lot of times they don't. But then I started realizing, you know what I really want from my daughter? For her to just tell me just, just enough for her to know that I care. Just tell. And then I started thinking about it, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, that's exactly what God's telling me. God's telling me, yeah, there's times where I would love for you to sit for hours with me and tell me everything. What really I really want it's for you to just bring that to me and know that I care. And know that tomorrow I don't have to worry. And know that I can cast all my anxieties on you. How do we do it? In the midst of the race, how do we do it? Ellen's back there and she's our tech person and she does all of our videos for us. And I was talking to her about this and she goes, Bill, you know what happens when, you, when those cameras are taking those shots during, at dusk and they're getting all that light? She said, the aperture is opened up fully and it sits like that for a long time. And she says, the key to this, when that aperture is open, is you have to keep that camera dead still. You have to keep the camera still or it's gonna mess it up. And I just, when she said that, I'm going, oh my gosh, Alan, that is exactly it. How in the midst of the race, in the midst of the running, in the midst of the chase, that we slow down to still so that we can see it clearly and allow the light to come in. When Elijah was in that cave and he was running like crazy and God gave him that food to eat and he went back to sleep, he woke up and this is what happened. You throw that up there, that Elijah piece. 
Then the word of God came to him. So Elijah, what are you doing here? I love that. What are you doing here? You've been running for a while. What are you doing here? That's a, that's a question for all of us. What are you doing? Elijah, what are you doing here? Then he was told, go stand on the mountain in attention before God and God will pass by. Keep going. A hurricane wind ripped through the mountains and shattered the rocks before God, but God wasn't found in the wind. And after the wind was an earthquake, and sometimes we want God to be in an earthquake. We want God to be something that's just going to rock everything. But God wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, fire, fire that he saw God's presence in something else, but it wasn't in the fire. But after the fire, a gentle and quiet whisper. When Elijah heard the quiet voice, he muffled his face with his great cloak and went to the mouth of the cave and stood there. And stood there and said, I'm going to choose these land, this lens today. I'm going to choose to see it this way. And Sarah and Chris, in the midst of that baby, I hope that they come up, they stand at the edge of the cave and stand there with that lens. I want my daughter, as she takes off for Australia, I told you, I cry all the time with all this stuff. When my daughter takes off for Australia, I want her to stand at the mouth of the cave. And see it through his eyes. Because if she doesn't, she's going to see it through discolored and distorted. She's going to miss the adventure. Janie Donatucci is standing at the mouth of the cave. And she's seeing it through his eyes. And instead of distorted and discolored, she's seeing blessing in the midst of cancer. No matter what monster you face, and some of you have brutal monsters that you're facing. He's still waking you up, giving you your daily bread, and inviting you to stand at the edge of the cave and choose that lens today. And then tomorrow, choose it again. Father, we pray that you would, would help each one of us in the midst of the, of, of, of the stuff. And for some, it's a lot of stuff. Help us to see it through your eyes. Help us to see the problem cleaner and clearer. Help us to see the blessing, the people around us. And God, we pray that we would not worry about tomorrow because your son tells us, your son that loves us dearly tells us, don't worry, I've got you, I've got you. God, help us to stand at the edge of that cave. It's in your name we pray, amen.